0: Uh, Basically, I think I'm supposed to tell you that my name's Brad, uh, Brad Andrus, and I'm at Journey Church in Fremont, Ohio. Uh, I serve as an associate pastor there. Uh, I've been there for about a year and a half, and before that, I worked at uh, Calvary Temple in Sandusky as a youth slash associate pastor, Uh, and I did that for about a year and a half as well. I started part-time, turned into full-time at that church, and now I'm full-time here at Journey Church. I uh, have a handout, of, if I can just have some help, uh, if we can just kind of pass these through, that would be awesome, and we'll just kind of pass them down the line. Thank you, guys. Um, so, not sure what what you all are expecting, I just want to kind of, this handout's going to kind of give you a roadmap of some of the things that we're going to talk through today. Uh, my goal is to not give you, like, a, a list of what you should do, um, So on the top of this handout, you'll see some names, you'll see some websites, and you can go to these websites, uh, and you can find a lot of information on uh, setting up a follow-up system for visitors or setting up a a discipleship system and things like that. You can find a lot of these resources online, uh, some of them for free. I have some paid sites on there as well. There's a lot of good information on there. Um, But the goal today isn't to just give you something to carbon copy And take away, my my goal today is to help you uh, begin to think the way that I'm naturally wired to think. Thank you very much. Uh, So for me, I just naturally think systems and processes, I think, on a large scale. And uh, if you've ever done, like, strength finders, uh, one of my top strengths is strategic. And so uh, this is just how my brain works. So I want to help you kind of just have some insight into questions that you may ask, um, different thoughts, different ideas. Uh, that would hopefully help you develop something of your own. And so I don't want you guys, again, to necessarily just copy something blindly, but I want to help you hopefully think through some things, and hopefully it will give you some insight into where you're at and whatever level along this uh, line or process that you're in. So uh, to begin with, I just have a little parable that I I want to share with you guys. And there's two farmers, uh, and they started farming... I'm not an art major or anything like that, you know, so I know a lot of you in here could draw this much better than me. Uh, Two farmers started farming opposite sides of the road, right? And uh, they harvest, they have the crops over here, this guy has his crops over here. Uh, They harvest, everything goes well, they go through the first season. Um, Sales are the same, pretty much split even down the road, everything's going fine. They have a, everything is similar. So they have a similar workforce. They have a similar machinery. They have pretty much across the board, any variable that you could think of, they're pretty much similar. And so uh, they both do very well. They're both very excited. Things grow, things produce, things sell. Uh, So they both decide to buy uh, some more land and they buy an equal amount of land and they plan another equal amount of crops for that next year. So what eventually starts to happen is that uh, you can see one farmer here, uh, relatively, has some straight lines, some uh, organization. This guy over here, he's kind of got some wiggly lines. There's a, a, from my studies on farming, I'm not a farmer. If there's any farmers in here, if you, if you tell me uh, everything I've read is wrong, then feel free to shout that out. But there's like a, a pride for farmers of having straight lines, of having things in order, uh, farmers just kind of inherently know that they can't do anything to make seeds grow, right? Uh, there's nothing in particular that, that we can do to make a, a seed germinate and produce a crop. But in the, in the farming community, there's a pride around making sure things are in order uh, versus things kind of not in order, out of order. So the second year they, they come, and then we start seeing this guy keeps getting just, he, he triples his sales, he seems like he's on top of life, things are going well, And the other farmer across the street, he's kind of like sweating. He's like, what's going on here? Uh, He's struggling to keep up. Uh, He's having a hard time managing what happens. And so the one thing uh, I want want us to take away from this is uh, that God gives growth. Uh, so in, in this uh, systems and process and everything that I've read and researched and gone through, there's a lot of talk, especially like in church leadership world, of like breaking the 100 growth barrier, breaking the 200 or 500 or so forth and so forth. Uh, and a lot of times I think we can start to just get confused. Uh, and we can start to relate, if, if only I could just get myself organized. If only I could get myself set up right, uh, then God's going to do something and that, and that something's going to grow. Uh, But I think we we need to come back to this, like, foundation that only God gives growth. So I think we need to have a theological foundation for what we're even talking about. Um, Let me read this to you. Uh, Just listen, and this is from 1 Corinthians. I'm sure most of you are are pretty familiar with this passage. says this. Paul writes, he says, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And so the one who plants and the one who waters, they work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work. We are both God's workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so we, we know this, but I think sometimes it's easy for us to dismiss this, this idea, that, this fact that God gives growth, that there's nothing that we do, there's nothing that I do, there's nothing that any system does to produce growth. It's that God gives growth. But as we move on, I think we can see that as God gives a same amount of growth, things can start to happen where we can be ready to, to manage or steward for instance, that growth, or maybe we're not ready, we're not ready to manage this growth, and then we start to live in a frenzy, we start to feel stressed out, overworked, Um, and it may just be a matter of, we just need to tweak some organizational things, and then we're right back in line with what God's wanting to do, so maybe God's already providing this growth, but we don't have this uh, organization or this system set up to help us manage or steward this growth well. And so the question becomes, is growth happening in our ministry, in our church, in our area of influence, and maybe uh, are we just not harvesting properly? Uh, so are we able to handle a certain amount uh, of growth, a certain amount of crops, but when we try to add more, are, are we stretching beyond what we're set up to do? Are we stretching beyond where we are? Uh, so some questions that come along with that are, what percentage of of new people become fully engaged. So for instance, if God is uh, giving us a a growth of one person per month um, in our area of ministry, in our church, we're going to see potentially 12 people a year uh, increase. Or is it a more of a 50% and is there six people a year? At the end of the year we see we had 12 new visitors, we see six people engaged. Or is it higher or is it lower? Um, but I think one of the things that we need to to be aware of is is how are new people becoming engaged and what percentage rate is that? Uh, Because in order to evaluate something and to see if something's effective, we have to know what it's actually doing. We have to know where we're actually at. We have to know where we stand. And a second thought here, is it possible that God's uh, giving us growth, but we're not sustaining or nourishing these plans? And so... The uh, fact of the matter is, in our areas of ministry, in our churches, all the way across the board, people disappear, right? One reason or another, people disappear. Uh, some people, they go to uh, another church, and maybe they fit the culture better, or maybe they find an opportunity at that church that they, they, they just didn't have uh, in our churches or in our area of ministry. And thank God for that. I mean, thank God that they're still serving Christ. Thank God that they're, they're going to, to build the kingdom, and thank God that they're being used. Uh, but sometimes they, they just disappear. Uh, other times people just kind of fall away. And so uh, one of the other items I think we need to consider, no matter where we're at, is this idea of, of what percentage of people are, are disappearing. So the thought becomes, if we're growing at five people per year and there's five people disappearing for per year, we're even, right? We're at a, a status quo. We're maintaining where we're at. And that can be a good thing. That can be a great thing. Um, you know, when a deficit comes and there's more people disappearing than coming in, that's when we start to see negative results. Or when there's more people coming in than there are disappearing, that's where we see a growth curve or, or positive results, right? So I think we need to keep an idea of what percentage of people are, are just disappearing. And I think this uh, lines up with sharing the gospel. In Matthew 13, the, just a parable, uh, some people fall on the path, Right? They make a decision to follow Christ and then they never come back to church uh, or maybe they say that they're going to get involved in ministry um, but you you call them you try to contact them and it's like they're nowhere to be found they just never return your call so some people just fall in the path and they never they never grow some people uh, they sprout up quickly, but there's rock underneath, right? And so these people, maybe they don't relationally connect with other people. So they get involved in an area of ministry, and they're doing well, and they're, they're there for three months, or maybe they come to the church four or five times. But for some reason, they haven't connected with somebody. They haven't found this nourishment that they need. And so they, they die off. They disappear. They, they go away. Uh, some people get involved, but they have shallow roots. They, they wilt away under the hot sun, right? And so... Uh, And what we're talking about in our context, I I think that that's, when people, when serving becomes sacrifice, I think this is where we see these people start to disappear. Uh, Some people can serve for a time, it's easy, it's good, but when it becomes sacrifice, it becomes harder. Uh, People that decide to to follow Christ, when it becomes tough to follow Christ, when when we have to start denying ourselves, right? This is where we see people start to go to the wayside, start to wilt away under the hot sun of the pressure. And then there's the last one. There's the people that fall on fertile soil. They produce a crop, right? Like, we are excited about these people. Like, they bring joy to all of our hearts, right? Uh, They come in and they get engaged. They get plugged in. They get relationally connected. They start uh, spiritually maturing. They start growing in Christ. Maybe they start attending a life group. Maybe they start serving. Uh, Maybe they just keep faithfully attending. Maybe their giving is their ministry, and, and they just naturally begin giving more. I'm not sure what it is, but we know these people when we, when we see them. The danger becomes is that some people produce 10, 20, or 100. Some seeds, rather, produce 10, 20, 100 times more, right? We have a tendency to compare the 10 against the 100, and that's not fair. And so we need to be concerned about helping people see their potential. What is their, their, their potential? If there are 10, we need to help them produce 10, if they're in 100, then we need to help them produce 100. But we can't discard the 10 because we're only dreaming about 100s. And so there's a lot of, a lot of this from what I've seen in, in church growth structures and things like that where we become disillusioned almost with this idea of grandeur and bigger. But maybe it's just becoming more effective at the 10 instead of being built for a 100. Does that make sense so far, some of these? foundations. So in all of this, uh, the thing that we understand, right, is that God gives growth. And so we're going to get into this. What is a system? What is a, a process? Uh, the two terms, I, I think, are used pretty interchangeably, but I, I want to suggest uh, to think of them that, like this. A, a process is an individual action of what you are going to do. And then a system is how you're going to achieve a goal with a group of processes. Um, We we know these things. We we say other terms like tasks and projects or policies and procedures, guides and rules. And so we we have this idea in our mind. Maybe an easy way to think of it would be like this. Uh, A process is a step. And you can have as many processes as you want, many steps as you want, but this group is the system. So a flight of stairs would be a system. A process is going to be an individual step. Uh, but the system is a group of processes. Um, in some of my studies, uh, I'm not a, an engineer by any means or anything like that, but uh, I've read that there's essentially roundabout about four basic types of machinery. Uh, that there's uh, levers, pulleys, wheels and axles, and an in-kind plane. Uh, some people say there's maybe seven. Some people say there's three. We're just going to stick with these four, four here. So I want, I want to take this idea of stairs in mind. If I was Superman or like a snow leopard and I wanted to get to the second story, I could just jump up to the second story. You know what I'm saying? I'm neither of those, obviously. I don't have spots, and I'm not wearing red and blue underneath my white shirt here. So uh, to, to be able to do that, to jump up to the second story, I wouldn't be here. I'd be like in the NBA, you know, I'd be in the Guinness Book of World Records. That takes a lot of power to be able to do that, right? Or if I want to get to the second story, I can take a set of stairs. Or if I had a giant teeter-totter, I could stand on one end and have somebody push down the other end and I could get lifted up to a set of stairs, or if you've ever been like in any old buildings with these old escalation systems where they had the rope that you would pull down and you'd pull down on the rope and then you move up. Uh, that's another way to get to a second story. Or uh, most of us are fairly acquainted with elevators, right? That's like the easiest. Uh, you go into the elevator, you push a button, you wait, it dings, the doors open, you walk out. Like, that's the, the easiest way for us to get to the second story. But here's the idea. Stairs are by and large the easiest to build. and An elevator is going to require much more work and maintenance to set up. But both are still going to get you to the second story. So you might have to, if you're building a set of stairs as a system, it might take more work. It might take more energy uh, than you're going to expend if you get in an elevator and push a button. This is going to be easier to set up. Uh, but an elevator, for instance, has all these moving parts. You need a maintenance man. You need to have them inspected. I mean, there's a lot of different things that happen in an elevator. It makes it more convenient for us, yes, but also there's a lot of moving parts with that. Question, yeah? Is there any online tool that you use to capture that? To capture... Do you document this, like you do flow charge, do you do online, like how do you, when you're creating a process, in system, is, is there anything electronically online? That yeah, you can use? yeah. Uh, good question. There's a, there's a lot of different things. Um, so church management systems is kind of the key word in that realm. Um, from my research, there's like various levels of a church management system, depending on uh, what type of personality you have, what type of team you have. Um, so an elementary one, there's a, a one called Breeze, C-H-M-S, B-R-E-E-Z-E, C-H-M-S. That's like a, an introductory... Uh, system. It's going to be very easy to use, very easy to maintain, easy to get volunteers trained on. Um, but for me, it lacks some of the data points that I want to know to see how effective we, we're being. A um, couple of middle of the road, there's one called Elvantro. Um, and then you kind of get into a higher end and you get into like a church community builder or a planning center. Um, things are going to take a little bit more uh, time and energy to set up. But once you get them set up, once you get volunteers trained on them, they start to to work out pretty efficiently. So does that answer your question a, at all? Okay, perfect. i
1: got a question. Yeah. So when do you start tracking all of the data that's going to make these systems work? I was, Don't you need data?
0: Yeah. Somewhere along the line? Yeah. So Mm
1: -hmm. So you have to train your entire church then to collect some kind of data,
0: right? Yeah. Um, Yes and no. So some of the things can be set up, um, like a children's check-in system, for instance. That's going to take a lot of work to set up. It's going to take a lot of work to train volunteers. But once that's set up and they're using the check-in system, I'm the one figuring out, or the program even is the one figuring out which child hasn't been here in three weeks. Let's... Find out who they am. How many children have brothers and sisters? Uh, let's find those. And so there's ways to, to mine for the data that the volunteers don't necessarily know about. Um, and that's going to be dependent on what type of church management system you use. But I think the biggest thing is just to start where you're at. And so uh, for example, when I started working at Journey Church, I love my pastor, Pastor Kenda Chan. He's awesome. He has a great heart for people. Um, and I just, I I love, I just, I love serving under him. I love working for him. Uh, but every Sunday afternoon he would sit and he would watch football and he would go through a spreadsheet of 550 names trying to figure out who he saw that morning and who he didn't. And I'm like, that's how long did that take you? A couple of hours, right? So he has this, he had this, uh, he had this idea set up in his mind. So what was his goal? His goal is he wanted to find people that that weren't there and get connected with them relationally he wanted to care for people find out how they're doing and he used their their absence of a sunday morning as a springboard for that uh but his uh system he had set up was like climbing 55 sets of stairs every sunday instead of taking an elevator okay um i in a a sense helped him set up an elevator um but again this is my this is my gifting Uh, we use church community builder uh it's not for everybody Uh, It's not easy and intuitive to use, but for me, everything about it makes sense, and it tells me everything that I want to know. But just starting where you're at. And so if it's a spreadsheet, and it takes that manual labor each week, how awesome is that, that you're at least moving in this direction, that you're trying to track these things and be um, just a a better manager of of the growth that God is is giving? Does that help answer the, the question at all? Any other uh, questions? Yeah, Tim. Um, Brad, I was wondering about um, how you guys track attendance as far as knowing who's
1: there and who isn't there. Yeah. I've seen people pass stuff, you
2: know, is there something that you guys
0: do in order to know that? Yeah, there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, there's places that have people check themselves in on a kiosk. There's uh, places that do, like the, one of the churches, has that plastic black book around. Uh, depending on the size of the church, Right. We can have somebody in the back if it's a church of under 100 with a list of names and just checking people off. Um, So what we do at Journey uh, is we use something that we call a connection card. Um, And we just ask people, hey, if this is your uh, first time at Journey, would you please be willing to give us as much information as you're comfortable sharing? And we're just going to contact you in the middle of week and give you more information about our church. We're not going to sell your information to any third party or anything like that. Uh, but if you're a regular attender or a member here, if you would just write your name in it for us, uh, that way we have a record of your attendance, that would be great. Um, and then we kind of sometimes bribe them. And so, uh, so we say, this month we're doing something that we're calling one for one. So for every connection card that gets filled out with a name, we're going to donate a dollar to a local ministry. This month we're going to donate to Sharing Care. So last week there were 196 of you that filled out connection cards so we cut a check last week for $196 and sent it over to, to Karen and Share. Um, in our area, people get really excited about that, and that's worked really well. Um, some things to keep in mind with that. Uh, when we started, about 30% of the people filled out connection cards. Uh, it took nine months, and we're about 85% of the room fills out connection cards. So it's not a, it's not a foolproof Thing it's not a one size fits all, and it's a it, it's a, a process. We committed to using these connection cards. We've been at it. Um, the good thing is though, once you figure out what system or what type of attendance thing you want to use, and you start training people, uh, anyone who's new that comes in doesn't know that it wasn't done any other way. And so, the the people that you have to train to do this are the people that have been coming to your church or are part of your ministry for quite some time. But once you Get over that hump, and I, I, I've seen it. it takes about nine months. Done it in two different churches, and both was about the same curve, um, about to this 85% level. Uh, but for us, 85% is way better than uh, no percent, or just kind of guessing or hoping that we catch the names on the spreadsheet. Yeah? Uh, yeah, we, we actually, I don't know if we were, but we used to pass around the black box. Oh, okay. No, it wasn't you guys. <laughs>
3: Mm. and so we have the connection part on one side but I've also used it on the back for people to sign up for men's breakfast or you know come to a meeting or whatever and that's how they tell us that they want to come and set up sign up sheets everywhere yeah um, they use the flap so in doing that I'm not sure how long we've been doing it probably about eight or nine months almost a year mm-hmm. out of if there was an attendance of a hundred people um seventy fill them out yeah
0: but but it's really worked well yeah Yeah, we've had conversations of I know how much those cards cost and I can't bring myself to write my name on a card just so that you can throw it away and the first thing is well do you realize this card costs us about three cents Uh, and collectively I mean you are worth way more than three cents so we're more than happy to spend these three cents so that we can keep track of of people Uh, but yeah there are those people that just for one reason or another they won't fill them out and that's okay and they're going to be here and then uh that's up to us to figure out another system to find those 15 percent that aren't going to fill out a card how are we going to care for those 15 percent? it's not going to be the primary way but what's the secondary way that we can do that anybody else have uh any other ways that they take attendance that they track these things that they want to share yeah Counts. Okay, yeah. And then we use the connection cards for new people or people who have information changes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Cool. Well um let's go on and you'll see in that handout uh we're at this place that's step one. So uh the idea is how do we how do we um make these uh things work. How do we come up with these things? How do we track these things? How do we figure out their effectiveness? Um, step one is going to be, we're going to identify what we're currently doing. So there's this uh, there's this idea that uh, some churches, some of us as individuals, we don't have systems, right? There's a, a critical mindset, like for good reason, that's um, got a sour taste towards like a, a bureaucracy. Uh, it could be explained like, we don't want people to feel like they're a number. Um, and I would totally agree with that, that. Right on. We definitely don't want people to that, to feel that way. Uh, I think one of the, the the ways that this idea kind of floats through is that uh, sometimes the people that feel this way are naturally people. People. Does that make sense? So you might feel this way because you do everything with people just instinctively without thinking. For me, uh, my my strengths finder. So I mentioned strategic. Uh, Others are analytical, competitive, uh, significance, and responsibility. So basically, like people, for me, people intuition is very low. Uh, So for me, uh, I meet someone new. I write their name down right away. I just say, hey, can I write your name down so I don't forget? And sometimes I even still forget. But I take that list of names of people I meet every week. I study it the the Sunday before. Uh, For me... Coming up with ways to remember people, and we'll get into this a little more, uh, helps me be able to counteract or be able to manage my weakness, for instance, um, in the people side of things. And so uh, the one thing that I think we need to realize in all of that is that planning, though, is a, a spiritual activity. So most of us should be familiar with the, the verse, and uh, for I know the plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, give you hope, future, so forth. Uh God was uh, speaking a a prophetic message to the people of Israel, a collective group of people, not a uh, a specific individual, right? And then uh, uh we did see that uh in in response to that that God did bring restoration and collectively that 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 a uh, prophetic message was fulfilled, right? Um, so I don't want to get into a debate on uh you know how that verse applies, but I think we need to see that that planning is a spiritual activity. And when we get a glimpse into God's plans, we call it prophecy. We call it a, a gift of the spirit, right? A word of wisdom, word of knowledge. We, we have these different terms that we can use for that. But so God plans, and there's nothing wrong with having a plan of how you're going to help people, especially a collective group of people, move from one destination to another. And so step one is, again, identifying what you're doing. And so uh, some of the questions that we need to ask are, you know, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Uh, Should I do it every single time? Should I continue doing it? Is there a better way to do it? I think the best way for us is going to do would just to be uh, group group (laughs) participation. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, So I want us to brainstorm just for a minute. If we have a guest that comes to our house, uh, this is going to be one. And then we're going to go with, uh, if I want to hire someone, we could either be hiring volunteers or we could be hiring a staff member. And we'll also do uh, best friend hasn't been to church in three weeks. Um, what do you do? Any idea on any of these? So what do you naturally do? If, if, if you have a guest that comes over to your home, what are some things that you just naturally do without even thinking? Clean house. Clean house. <laughs> All right, clean Feed. Let's go with uh, hiring somebody. What are some things that you naturally do or if you're going to hire somebody, whether they're a volunteer or a uh, or staff member? References. References. <coughs> Interview. Interview. What's that? Get the price? <laughs> Get the price? Is, did I hear you right? <laughs> yeah, but like, what's my Money. Uh, best friend. Your best friend hasn't been to church in three weeks. What do you do? Lunch. Lunch. Oh. Call. Call would precede lunch, right? Coffee. Coffee. Okay. So let's go over to the guest house real quick. Um, I would argue that the first thing you're going to do is literally open the door. I would say right after you open the door, you're probably going to have a smile on your face. But we do these things without thinking about them. But it's still a process. We just have it internalized already. And so if you have some grumpy person that needs to figure this out, you just need to spell it out for them. Look, for every person that comes to your house, I want you to open the door and let them in. I want you to smile. Maybe say something like, hey, thanks for coming over, right? Uh, And so we need to think through, identify what we do. Uh, Hiring someone, I think the first thing we're going to do is let people know we're hiring. Right? We're going to make an announcement. We're going to make a job description Uh, a volunteer description. We're going to make it known that that we're hiring people. Uh, Best friends gone for three weeks. We kind of got some things. We got a call in here. Uh, Yeah, essentially, we're going to get a hold of them in whatever way we need. And they're our friend. We're just going to say, hey, what's going on? Can we go to lunch? Can we go to coffee? Things like that. So step one is thinking through, again, literally everything that you do uh, and go through and uh, identify what you're doing. So step two is going to be improve. And so this is where uh, these things come in line of, of tracking what you're doing to figure out how you can get better. And so uh, a, a thought that I think we need to realize is that these processes, they help us identify and develop our best responses to certain scenarios, questions, or problems. Um, so for instance, a guest comes over to my house. Uh, there's a, an example of here of clean, Right? And this is even before they show up, right? Feed. What happens if you're going to feed somebody? You plan out a meal. You, you prepare it before they show. And so you're already doing things that you're going to expect somebody coming in. And so now you are going to evaluate uh, some additional things that you could do. So you, you have this idea in mind. I would ask, what kind of food do you like? Right? We're not going to cook somebody Chinese if they like American. Right? It's just another way of being a, a more invested or more connected with somebody's life. We're going to maybe ask about their kids. Maybe, uh, maybe they have kids, and we can send home a gift with them to take home to their kids who've been into babysitters all night. Like, how nice is that, right? Um, so there's even things that we can do that we can start to identify and figure out what can we do in addition or what can we do better. Uh, so we have to identify, but then we also need to evaluate and so some of the questions that we uh, need to start to ask are uh, what do I want to see achieved and how do I want it to happen? And this is a lot of work. So these are simple questions but they take a lot of, a lot of thinking time, a lot of musing time. Um, but, but let's consider this if, if we can make uh, whatever we do at our church in our, in our area of ministry, if we can just get one more person connected, Uh, each month so if we can tweak something if we can add some some step of whatever it is that we do to make it better by one person a month that's 60 people over the next five years that uh, potentially are impacted or connected uh, to Christ even deeper I mean that's worth it right it's worth all the hard work if we can get people connected to Christ Uh, and that's the bottom line, right? That God makes it grow, that these people are connected to Christ are connected in life giving relationships with other followers of Christ. Uh, and so in my opinion, it's worth it. It's a lot of hard work, but it's definitely worth it. And so, uh, some ideas in here, what if, uh, what if you lead the the nursery or preschool team, what is it that you could do to, to help connect, help facilitate a connection with people? Any ideas? Which people? That's a good question. Let's start with the kids. Talk to them. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I do it with my preschoolers. It sounds kind of silly, but we spent half an hour last Wednesday looking at pictures to see what they wanted to make for Easter. Yeah. What about the adults? So kids don't show up by themselves, somebody brings them, hopefully. Uh, how do we connect with the adults, or do we? Send letters home. Yeah. And it's just, uh, from this point, it's a matter of figuring out what exactly we want that to look like, but then doing it and seeing, can we get connected with these adults? Uh, for example, um, the youth group I led, here's what, here's what ours looked like. A kid would show up, and I would literally bribe them with a pair of $5 free sunglasses that had our youth group logo on them. Hey, thanks for coming to your first time. You fill out this, this card for me, you're going to get a pair of free sunglasses. Uh, I never had anybody say no. Uh, what are some of the things I asked for on that? I asked for their favorite candy bar, their favorite soda. So the next week, I would go out and I would buy their favorite candy bar and their favorite soda. And I'd send them a letter in the mail. Hey, I just want to let you know that you, next time you come back, I'd love to have you join us again. But there's, I got your favorite candy bar, I got your favorite soda, it's marked, it's yours next time you come back. Is that bribing? Sure. Uh, But seriously, that was a lot of effort. I mean, I didn't have to go to the store, I didn't have to get their favorite candy bar, and most of them came back for their favorite candy bar and their favorite soda. Uh, I would call them in the middle of the week, say, hey, is there any way I can pray for you? I I had a reminder set up Tuesdays, Uh, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Hopefully tomorrow night you're able to make it out. I know uh, you might be in sports. Uh, depending if I knew if they were or they weren't, I would acknowledge that they're in sports. They may not be here, but I just want to let them know, hey, I'm still thinking about you. I'm still praying for you. Uh, so figuring out ways to just uh, create these connections. Um, but what I found is when I, would, when I would write these cards, I would say, bring this card back. To I'll get to one moment here. Bring this card back and... Uh, you'll get your free, (laughs) you'll get your free soda and candy bar. And I didn't see much of a response, but then I just changed the, the writing on the card. I said, hey, come back next week and I already have these here for you. And then instantly you would see kids coming back. So there was something awkward about bringing back a card that was preventing a connection. But once I removed that, I saw a better response of kids coming back for a second time, third time to the youth group. And so, um, things as little as the way that we say things, the way that we make announcements on Sunday morning, the way that we promote things can change how people respond to that. Question, yeah? Oh, first of all, I apologize for my, uh, my English. My English is very poor.
2: No, That's okay. I'll try to explain my uh, question. So if you lead an uh, international church with uh, milk cultures, so some of them are African... Um, from different parts of Africa and other from America, America. So they want something uh, which is different from other other parts of uh, of, your, uh, of your your of your members' church. Mm-hmm. So how can you make your system better to satisfy all of the members if they are they have a background? Different
0: background. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question and one that I'm really not answer or qualified to answer per se. Uh, our church is uh, like 85 uh, percent white. <laughs> um, and so we aren't a very multicultural church. We're hoping to move in that direction for our community. Um, and we're hoping to see more of a Hispanic presence. That's the highest minority in the area where we're at. Um, but here's what we do do. And this hopefully would give some insight into how I would approach that. Um, So we have a a, a process or a a system set up for first-time visitors. We have a process, a system set up for first-time visitors who are from out of town. We have a process and a system set up for first-time visitors who also, that same week, decide to follow Jesus. We have another one set up for the first-time guests who also decide to reaffirm. Maybe they decide they've been in church when they were a kid. They're coming back to Christ. They're reaffirming a decision that they made at one point. All of these people are contacted differently, there, there, there are similarities in the way that all of it happens, but each one is a different scenario. Uh, so my instinct would say, as I would figure out that, one, on, on the, from the leadership side, what does the lead pastor want? What type of multicultural church are we trying to create? Um, are we trying to create an assimilation of cultures into one culture, or are we trying to create a melting pot of cultures where each one is identified, valued, respected differently? Um, for instance, let's say we're going with a a melting pot or everyone is, is distinctive. I would try to go through the work of figuring out how the different cultures receive communication and set up each system differently. So maybe, um, in a, in a church like that, maybe a question on the connection card is what ethnicity are you? Um, and it's not awkward because it's not a room full of 85% white people, um, So that just wouldn't work on our connection card. But maybe in a situation like that, where cultures are valued and and diversity is valued and it's known on on an organizational scale, um, you can start asking for certain things that can help you make steps towards making it personalized for these people. Um, So does that help out at all? Any other follow-up questions on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of
3: the things that I do um, as counselors, when people come in that I'm not familiar with their religion or their ethnicity, I say, um, and so what we want to do is make a a visiting thing, but I say, can you educate me on your religion? Mm -hmm. Can you um, educate me on your culture so that I can serve you better and and in a church, you'd say, so that we can utilize you better and serve you better. Yeah. And so, and then to that, that's making a connection because you've validated them who they are, who their background is, and um, and that you want to know those differences so that you can try to incorporate some of
0: that. Yeah. Humility, right? I mean, we can read about cultures in a book, but just being willing to ask and value, absolutely. Absolutely. And
3: I would just say, too, I mean, we don't
0: have multiple cultures um, in the sense of where they're from and
3: how they're raised, but we do have different uh, stages of life. So we have really... Um, we have seniors, and we have young, and really not a whole lot in between. So in the same sense, it's, it's, even though it's not streamlined across the line for both, you do have to make exceptions and personalize it more. Whereas we would send a mass email, all those seniors, they don't do email. They, they don't touch a mm-hmm. computer. And so we have to find a way to reach out and contact them the way they'll hear. Mm-hmm. You we know, get the information. And I don't think doing that means it's less streamlined or less efficient. It's just efficient for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I so what language they prefer to communicate in in a better way than just okay. I don't know which cultures you're looking at if they different
3: languages and that would kind of clue you in.
2: Yeah, it's maybe the different you know. In the same Church, if you use, maybe, for us, we use English, uh, and uh, our local language uh, is African language. Okay. But still, have a lot of problems, because even in Africa, we don't speak the same, same language. It's different. Mm. In, in our church, we have the Athelian, the Congolese, and we try to put together one language, which is English. The English is not not all our language, <laughs> so it's kind of a problem. We didn't have any solution for that. Mm. We still struggle with that question. Yeah. And the second one, if we receive some uh, Americans, you know, you guys, you you like to show up on time, and your service is very...
3: <laughs> we as
2: Africans, we have the long service. If one day I invite you to come to our church, Gonna spend three hours worshiping, dancing. So for you guys, Americans, you're running out time.
0: There was a on that I can't remember the name of the the lady of the presentation of the book offhand. Um, there was a lady who spoke at uh, Willow Creek's leadership summit last year that talked about the difference of cultures and how each one of them interrelate, and it covered things like that. Um, If you email me, my email's on that page. I can give you that information for that resource. So we had three questions here. We have you, Then we'll go just kind of around here.
1: Um, At at our church, we're
2: probably 50% American, white, and Mm -hmm. 40% Hispanic, but the Hispanic is very diverse. And one of the things that I'm learning, and I'm not Hispanic, I do not speak Spanish, I wish I did, um, is that there's a lot of differences even within the Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. And you have to identify with what they are, because there's some that don't get along with another particular group, and like I said, there's also drastic differences in how they do things. Yeah. And you've got to kind of try to match up with what they are, Yeah. because people don't want to stretch. I mean, we've had a Spanish as a second language class, and it's marginally successful from time to time. But mm-hmm. I would think it would be more successful, but it's not. So.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there could be a lot of scenarios for that, but that's a perfect example of just figuring out you know, what you want to accomplish. And, and once you're clear on that, then you can figure out how are we going to do this. So maybe the class isn't successful, but maybe an online avenue of the same kind of material would be. Um, If you're willing to sacrifice in a relational connection aspect for uh, this idea of learning the language, uh, that could be a route. And so that's an idea of where you can start to, once you identify what you're doing, and then you can start to ask these questions of what's my goal, you can kind of move down that that path. Uh, Keith? Yeah, just
2: see this as a, I mean, what I'm hearing is this is a great opportunity to get more um, volunteers to to be able to come in and do something in leadership because uh, pulling somebody from that culture to be involved in the process mm. uh, is going to help you to better understand what 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 makes sense and what doesn't make sense for that yeah. particular group. Um, and then they're also getting involved, and then you just see the leadership growing even more so.
0: Yeah. Even more and even on that point, uh, I want to so piggyback off that real quick, is that uh, for some of us in here, we think of all this kind of stuff, and we're kind of like, I really don't want to do all that hard work. There are people like me who love things like this, who if you just get them involved in your ministry, maybe they never have a public presence but you tell them what you want and, and explain to them and then let them go. There's people that will gladly come up with this stuff for you and tell you, here's what you need to do. Uh, and, then, and then you, if you're more people oriented, can find those people and get them plugged in doing these things. Um, and so even on that aspect, that there's people that love this stuff that can help set it up. It doesn't have to be you, especially if, if it's like dreadful for you.
1: Uh, I attended a church uh, through a friend of mine and, they had a very diverse culture, and they didn't have all the kind of people in their church that spoke the language. So what they did was they created a video that they showed on Sunday morning, and they had like maybe 12 cultures represented in the video <laughs> that said welcome in the language of the people that were attending that church. Yeah. And that kind of was, uh, you know, like an icebreaker for them. Yeah. You know, and then they would change that video up. Like every four months, mm-hmm. so that it just kind of helped everybody feel more welcome. Yeah,
0: was that People's Church in Cincinnati? In Cincinnati. Yep. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I, I love just kind of the way that they're able to do this and, and the way that Pastor Chris has, has led his congregation in that in that way. Yeah, and
1: they're very intentional about
0: that. Exactly. Absolutely.
1: Now, I've got a little traveling. It seems like. When a church emphasizes the similarities more than the non-similarities, they work better. And then when I say I've done some traveling, I've done I'm retired in military, so I've done quite a bit of traveling in all kinds mm. of environments. And I've led Bible studies in the Arab countries and everything else. <clears throat> and I never they're copied Christians. There's quite a bit of differences like the, the days are celebrate Christmas. There's a lot of differences. an awful lot of similarities. I'm always focused on the similarity. Mm-hmm. The rest of the stuff tends to work
0: out. So I just encourage you to consider that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So let's go on here. Uh, I think we got about 11 minutes left. Uh, so step three on this handout, you're going to see group processes into systems. So the idea for this, uh, think of the story of Moses. Moses is sitting and he's judging all of these individual cases, right? Father-in-law comes along and says, Moses, you're You're a dork. What are you doing? You can't sit here all day and keep doing this. So Moses switches from being a judge to organizing a judiciary system. Um, So basically what we're talking about is a massive change in the way that Moses as an individual uh, operated, the way as Moses individual connected with people, um, a massive shift. And so, uh, something to keep in mind is we're developing, uh, these processes. A lot of times it's easy to start, you know, what would we do? What would we do as an individual? What would I do? What would I do? Uh, and then we develop a system off of that. Uh, but once we get into teaching people these systems that we develop, we, we move further and further away from our individual roles in these steps, if this makes sense. So for, ex- for example, uh, at uh, our church um, journey in Fremont, we have a group of volunteers that call people um, that call a first-time guest. Uh, we have another group of volunteers that call a second-time guest. Uh, and then our pastoral staff contacts a guest that comes for the third time. It started uh, as Pastor Ken calling every single person that came to the church. But as, uh, as, you, as organizationally, as things grow and get bigger... Uh, Pastor Ken isn't necessarily connecting with each individual guest, but he's still connecting on some level of guests that come to the church. It just looks different. And so, again, from that, the way Moses had to transition how he as an individual interacted with people uh, of Israel, uh, same way, when we start developing these things, these systems, the way that we interact with people are going to change. Um, a couple of quick thoughts. So timing is a large factor that's involved with systems. So once we start to create these systems and, and we've got these groups of processes together and we start to figure out exactly what we want people to do, when we want people to do them, or we can even say things, when we want things to happen, how we want things to happen. Once we start to identify this, uh, let's think of a car, for instance. The car is off and you push on the gas pedal, nothing happens, right? Except there's a chamber that gets flooded with gas. Uh, but your, your car doesn't go anywhere. But if you turn the key on first and you push on the gas, your car goes. Depending on how hard you push on the gas pedal depends on how fast the car goes. But depending on if it's in reverse, first gear, second gear, third gear also is going to depend. So timing is going to be a major part in these things. Um, Another example would be when you get into the car, you open up a door, the cabin light comes on normally, right? That's great. Uh, If you're driving the car in the dark and you need to turn the cabin light on, you just flip the switch or hit a button and the cabin light turns on. So, the cabin light turns on, at, the cabin light still does the same thing. It's a cabin light. But in response to different stimuli, it turns on at different points. So, what I mean by this, uh, for example, is that uh, some are, are time sensitive and some are not so much. So, uh, let's take a, a, new, a new guest, for instance. Uh, the question then becomes do they receive a typed letter first? Do they receive a note card first? Do they receive a phone call first? Do they receive an email first? Does it matter? It may not. Uh, It may not matter what order these things happen in, but in some cases it might. For instance, somebody wants to start serving in your church. Maybe they want to lead a Bible study. Um, One of the things, hopefully, that we would agree on, maybe not, and that's okay, uh, is that we would at least want followers of Christ, Christians, to be leading a Bible study. Uh, Hopefully we wouldn't want a non-believer to lead a Bible study, right? So timing is a part of this. Now, it could be different for some of us in here. Some of us could feel more comfortable with a new Christian leading a Bible study because we see it as a way that they, wanna, that they can grow themselves. Other of us say, no, I really want mature believers leading Bible studies because they're seasoned, they know Christ, they can respond to questions. So it may look different, but timing is, is going to show up in that. And then uh, the same processes can be used over and over in response to different situations. So, for example, uh, a note card. Uh, you can write uh, a thank you card, right? You can write, hey, I missed you card. You can write, hey, welcome card. You can write, hey, you're invited card, right? So the same idea, a note card can be used various different ways. You can mail a note card. You can hand deliver a note card. You can sneak a note card into somebody's Bible when they're not at their seat, right? There's different ways to get a note card to somebody, and all of these can have a different uh, perception Uh, Sometimes a hand-delivered note card is just way better received, well-received from an individual than if they just get something in the mail that has the church logo and then their their name type-faced outside of an envelope. So maybe it's a matter of handwriting the church address, handwriting their address, and handwriting the whole note card. Um, And so at its core, though, it's still a note card. You see where we're going with this? But in response to different situations, in response to what you want to do, you can use a note card in various uh, different ways. And so let's go back to this, a guest comes over to your house thing. So on this, uh, some things to think of is what type of guest is it? Is it a work guest? Uh, Is it somebody that you've never met before? Is it somebody who's been to your house three times? Uh, And depending, things might look different, but you still have a general idea, right? Um, does, it, does this make sense so far? I, we're running out of time, so I know I'm really talking kind of fast, but any questions on this idea of grouping like processes into a system? Cool. Uh, Frank, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Um, in relationship to guest information, are there things that you've done that have helped facilitate getting information from guests, things that have more worked, things that maybe you? That one for one that I mentioned earlier has helped the most um the connection card uh we for a while just had visitors fill it out Uh, there's a psychology aspect of when everybody picks up a connection card from the seat that more people are willing to fill it out because it's a group activity instead of somebody feeling singled out Um, and we also at the end we ask them to put it in the bucket so they're not leaving to go somewhere we pass around offering buckets Everybody has something to put in the bucket, whether it's an offering, whether it's a connection card, whether it's both. Um, but again, there's something about a group activity where everybody's participating uh, kind of helps that. But the one for one has helped, and then the connection card in general has helped. Um, so real quick, uh, managing your weakness. And I mentioned some, something about this before. There's a book called Live Your Strengths. There's a website called StrengthsFinder. Uh, it's a great resource. But for me, again, uh, my people intuition is low, so I have systems set up for me personally that just help me value people. Uh, and so, let's say my friend Joe is in the hospital. Uh, just the way I'm wired, I don't naturally go home and think to myself, "Hey, how's Joe doing? Maybe I should give him a call." Um, some people are all over that, but for me, uh, I speak into my phone. Siri, remind me Tuesday at four o'clock to call Joe. And then when that Siri goes off at four o'clock on Tuesday. Pick up my phone. I call Joe. I say, "Hey Joe, how you doing?" Joe doesn't care how I called him. Joe only cares that I did call him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, for me, that's uh, managing my weakness. On the opposite end, of a friend who's very people-oriented, uh, and anytime I get in their car, my brain hurts because they have a, a a sticky sticky notepad and a pen in their car, and there's sticky notes everywhere. It just hurts my brain. It's not organized or anything. And it's everything random from pick up the dog on Tuesday to find out how this person is doing, find out how that person is doing. Uh, but, but this person, anybody they meet, they remember their name. It's like it's like trapped in their mind. They, can't, they can never forget somebody's name. So we're just wired completely different. And that's their system. That system of note cards, uh, sticky notes, would never work for me. But the idea is they figured out something that works for them. It helps them manage a weakness so that they forget a lot of details. And so they write all these details on sticky notes and they have them while they're driving. Um, and so there's just a, this idea that you can manage your, your weaknesses using systems and processes. Um, a final thought on protecting yourself. You'll see that's a, a section. So I grew up in the small business world. My parents owned a uh, a small business, operated a small business, had a lot of friends that ran small businesses. Um, uh, there was this one small business owner who hired this office manager, and, and their, the office manager role was to do like some bookkeeping, record keeping, things along that line. Um, things were going great, uh, um, the small business owner was asking for reports, the reports were being delivered, things were going well. Eventually, this small business owner had a partner that uh, expressed interest in their business, and, and they decided to partner together. So the partner came in and started asking for some more detailed information than what was happening. There wasn't anything necessarily wrong before, uh, but the partner was just looking for some more details. So for instance, uh, at one point, this uh, office manager was typing up like financial reports in Microsoft Excel, like hand typing, and the partner comes in, and he's just ask, can we just have the automated reports from the financial system that come out? Um, And sure, that was fine. Uh, Notice that every day, the office manager would count the cash to the drawer alone. And uh, his idea was, I don't want anybody questioning the integrity of our business, so we're just going to have, can we have two people count together? Um, Started having two people counting together. And so things went on. Uh, This office manager was eventually fired, uh, for like job ne- negligence and other things like that, and a few months later, this partner found out that, that office manager had also swindled money while they were there. How did it happen because she was he or she was counting a loan uh, because there was no oversight when they were counting the drawer uh, because there was full trust and so systems uh, sometimes can seem like hey we don't trust you, but in all actuality, a system is there to benefit everybody. It benefits the person who's going through it, and it benefits the the person or the company, the organization that sets it up. It helps protect uh, integrity in ministry. And then a final thought as as we're packing up here uh, is that a a good system is going to solve your current issue, but I would encourage you to think really hard about what you want the future to look like and build a system with the future in mind. And so maybe... Uh, it's three stages. Maybe you have this idea of a system build out that's going to be uh, 10 months down the road. Um, so start with step one of step 10 and don't introduce all 10 steps at once. Does this make sense? Like don't overload people, but have this idea of where you want to go in mind. I mean, if you want to build a, a 5,000 foot uh, building, you wouldn't lay a foundation for 30,000. But if you knew you were going to build a 30,000 square foot building, you have plans in place of walls that are going to be knocked down, spaces that will be opened up, uh, making sure the ground's ready for a foundation. Uh, Any questions as we close and get out of here? Cool. Can I pray for you guys before we leave? God, I thank you. I thank you for our time together. God, I just ask that uh, as, as we go throughout today that you would uh, bring things into our mind that, that you would just stick into our brains, whether it's something from, from here in this session or whether it's something towards all the way towards the end. God, I just ask that all of us today would be able to walk away with at least one thing that we know you are speaking to us about and that you want us to act on. And so God, we're here and we're gathering knowledge and that's great. But God, I just ask that you would give us all the courage, the strength, that you give us the insight and the ability to to go away and take action on one thing that we heard so that we can just take steps towards getting better. And God, all of this, our motivation is to serve you, God. And so we just uh, declare ourselves to being open to hear from you from the rest of the day. So God, we thank you for your love and your grace. Amen. Very good. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.